so a few weeks ago, Gary came up to me and dragged me over to Lloyd and Greg. And when that happens, it's usually either you're in trouble or something bad's going to happen. And uh, they asked me if I'd be willing to preach on this Sunday. And for some reason, I agreed to it. And I was thinking about what, what would I want to talk about and what would I want to bring up. And, uh, you know, it made me want to have one of those old wooden pulpits so I could bang on it and yell real loud. And, like the good old days when you used to have those kind of sermons. And then I was thinking some more and, and I was just thinking of how when Paul would go through and he started writing all this New Testament, he starts going and doing these missionary trips. He's like the ultimate missionary. Establishes all these churches. And he would go around encouraging church to church. He'd go to church to church encouraging and strengthening and, and growing the church. And this morning, that's, that's, that's although I'm not a missionary, I'm here every Sunday. But that's how I, what I wanted to accomplish is, because sometimes when you can have that fresh blood, you always see the same preachers up here every Sunday, and it gets routine, and sometimes it's uh, repetitive. And I just wanted this morning to be one of those things where we can encourage one another. That's what we're going to be talking about. Did anybody bring their Bibles? Let's show a quick hands. Your, your iPads. Your, oh, see, there's a couple old school Bibles. See, I love that. The paper bags. Because uh, if you look on your bulletin, usually you have this really cool outline that already has all your notes right now for you. And this morning, because I'm an old school kind of guy and a low-tech man in a high-tech world, I decided to let you guys just take your own pen and write your own notes if you would like to write stuff down. So there won't be any uh, PowerPoint presentation either. So you can have it listen or open your old paperback or your technology and, and follow along. Before we jump into this, let's just uh, go to God in prayer real quick. God, thank you for this opportunity that we just have to get together to get today as a church and to meet and just thank you for everyone making the effort to be here and, and just be with me this morning as we dive into your word and to talk about these things and, and just give me the words this morning, God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first text we're going to look into, where we're going to get this whole thing from, is Hebrews 3, 13 through 14. And I didn't get all my, I usually would put uh, cool little sticky notes at all my scriptures, but I didn't. So that way you guys have the same amount of time as I do to find these verses. And we got a ton of them, so I hope you brought your Bibles. But it says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we first had. And if you read, if you look in your Bible... I don't know if yours has it this way, but mine, it says, as long as it's called today, and the today is capitalized, there's actually a capital T in the middle of a sentence, it's totally wrong. But it's to emphasize that as long as that sun comes up, and we have another day where we're all here, we need to be encouraging each other. We're going to get into the why, and we're going to get into the how. So why is it important that we encourage each other? Why is it important that we meet here every Sunday? Why is it important that we get together on Wednesdays and, and even for softball and just spending time together during the week? The number one reason, in my opinion, is because life is difficult. 
It's difficult for many different reasons. Um, sometimes it's just bad hands that we get dealt. Sometimes it's sin in our lives. Sometimes it's just because of the world that we live in that we get bogged down and drained by our everydays that we're just dealing with in our everyday life. So the first one. Life is difficult. Why? Because sometimes we just get dealt a bad hand. Maybe you're not doing anything wrong. You're serving God just the way you should be. And yet, terrible things happen. You're driving down the road and your car breaks down. And you have your trailer on, so it's not like you can just go, hey, can somebody lend me a car? No, you got to find a way to unhook your trailer, get the trailer picked up. That happened to me. You buy a new car, so this doesn't happen, and your new car breaks down anyways. It's just one of those things. Bad deal. Maybe it's the death of a, a family member or friend that just comes out of nowhere. Maybe even a child. That happens. Terrible things happen, and maybe you're not doing anything wrong. Financial reasons, tri- um, struggles happen. Um, and then we face all kinds of other trials. Run over to Philippians 4.13. Well, I'm going to start 12, actually. Philippians 4.12 real quick. Philippians 4.12. I'm just kind of talking, we're going to talk about this some financially. This is funny because this is one of the verses that if you've ever heard somebody preaching on a sermon, this sometimes gets so blown out of perspective, it's incredible. But we're not going to take it that far out of perspective. I know what it is to be in need. This is Paul talking to the Philippian church. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether I am well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is Paul. If you, uh, yeah, he goes on in some of his about rants on, on some of the struggles and trials that he went through. But maybe you're going through a financial situation. And I've been through that too. I understand what it's like when your lights get turned off or your water gets turned off. And you're like, what am I supposed to do? I'm working. I'm doing everything I can do. And yet the money's not coming. And there's nothing we can do. You just keep pushing forward. But if we can change our mindset to not get so overwhelmed, because for people in the world that don't have the hope of, 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 of a future in heaven, those kind of things are so overwhelming and just drags them so far down. But as us as Christians shouldn't have to be so bogged down about whether our lights are turned on or off or whether our bills are all paid or if we um, are, are living with plenty or in want. We can find. We need to find a way to find contentment in whatever situation we're in. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. With God on our side, we can have the strength to endure through those hardships that we have, whether it's financial or whatever. Another one, uh, just trials. This could, this is could be anything um, that you're going through, the struggles that we have. And uh, we're gonna look real quick at James one two through four. It's right after Hebrews. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that your testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's a difficult pill to swallow, because when you're facing with those trials or that struggle or that hardship or whatever you're going through, those trials that we all have, to say consider it pure joy when you're just throwing your arms up going, why, God, why is this happening to me again? Maybe it's in your relationships. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's with coworkers. 
Maybe it's just any situation that happens. I, I don't know what everybody's situation is, but you know what your situation is. You know what your struggles are. And to say, consider it pure joy, it's like, how is that even possible? How can I sit here and say, this is fun to go through? Yes, give me more. But it says, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. If we just had an easy ride, and we didn't have any of these struggles, we didn't have any of these trials, we would have no respect for when things are good, for one. And then having that, you wouldn't have the look forward to heaven. You wouldn't have that desire to see something better because you'd have everything you want. Everything you'd want would be right here. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may mature and complete, not lacking anything. As we come through our struggles, as we overcome our challenges, it creates a character in us. And we're able to use those things to help other people that will eventually go through the same things we go through. All the struggles and trials and, and things that we go through, they're all common to man. If it happens to one person, it's going to happen to another person. We're all going to face the same struggles. It's going to come differently, and everybody takes situations differently. But they're all going to be similar in structure. We've got a song that we're going to play. We've got a couple. Gave Carol some work to do this weekend. It's not over yet for Biking and Country is the group.
It's not over yet. As long as you still have a pulse, it's not over yet. So just keep pushing, keep fighting, keep moving forward. Number two reason that I got that life is difficult is because of our sins. Uh, some of them have consequences that last a lifetime. Some are some things you can overcome. They're little, they're big. But the sins in our lives oftentimes cause our life to be more difficult. We're going to look at Romans 7, 14 through 25. This is Paul talking about the struggles that he has, the battle of going back and forth with the sin in his life. And, and once you ID like the, the sin in your life, and yet you're trying to overcome it, you're trying to get through it, and yet you still keep falling in the same traps. And Paul says it best. Romans 7, 14 through 25. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but I hate what I do. And if I do what I want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is my, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do good, but I cannot carry it out. I want to do the good I want to do. No, the evil I do, I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I want to do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's interesting when you see a guy like Paul who you look up to as this missionary who built all these churches and established, I mean, that's got to be one of God's elite, best of the best Christians. And he just tells it out the reality of what we are. It's not something that just goes away because you identify what is right or wrong. It's something that's with you from now until the time that we're how we leave this earth. And it doesn't matter whether it's big or little things that you're struggling with. What matters is that we identify those things that are wrong and don't accept it just as human nature. So oftentimes you're seeing now where people are just saying, it's okay, you can do whatever you want. God died on, he paid the price, he paid the price, you've been paid in full. Well, yeah, that's true, but we still have a part. We have a big part where we have to idea it and we have to struggle through it. We have to do our best to make those changes and not allow those, the sin in our lives to just become who we are and to, to just accept it as human nature, and accept it as okay, because uh, it's not. And Oftentimes, I, f I find myself, when I fall into that, it's just, I read this, and that's exactly how I feel sometimes. It's like, how am I still struggling with this? But we do, and we all do. If one of us struggles with it, more than likely several others are struggling with those same things. Keep pushing forward, keep moving through. So what do we do? We identify the sin that we have in our life. We go through this battle back and forth in our minds of, I know I need to not do this, but I keep doing this, and we get bogged down by it. So what do we do? Where do we go from there? Let's look at Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. I got it in one flip, so sorry if you're not quite there yet. I don't know how that doesn't usually happen for me. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what do we do? It says because we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, because we are within our church. We have each other that we should be able to tell each other about our struggles and our problems. And we shouldn't have to fear somebody looking down on us because we're all going through the same thing. We're up searching the same goal of, of making it to heaven. And we should be helping each other accomplish that. And so we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And, and just continue to endure and continue to pursue him. And work together. Help each other out so that we can just all get there together. Another one that seems to be a common problem, Philippians 3, we're going to go to Philippians 3, 12 through 14, is when you have something that you blew it big time, and maybe it's a long time ago. Sometimes people are still weighed down by a sin that they committed 10, 13, 20, 50 years ago. Sometimes a sin can define your entire life if you allow it to, if you don't. Forget the past and move forward. And that's what, what this is talking about here. Philippians 3, 12-14. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal... To win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. As long as you're worried and bogged down and bothered and allowing things, the mistakes you made, we've all done things we wish we hadn't done. We've all said things we wish we didn't say. But once that's been done, once that's been said, you can't go back. There's nothing you can do to change what you did yesterday, a week ago, ten years ago. So what do we do with it? We have to learn from it, and then we have to forget it and move forward. Because if you just allow the things, that, the mistakes that we made years ago, to define the whole future, then Satan wins. Because then you are dead in the water. You're accomplishing nothing. Forget the past. Strange towards what's ahead. Now we're going to go to Isaiah. And this is to encourage us as to why it's okay to just not be bothered so much by the past mistakes that we made. Isaiah 43, 18 and 25. Forget the former things of the past. This is Isaiah 43, 18. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Then 25. I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. God doesn't want to remember you as the sin that you made. That's not what defines you. And he does it not for even our sake. He doesn't say he forgives us of our sins for our sake to allow us into heaven. He does it for his own sake. Because he doesn't want to see us and then see us as that sinner. He wants to see us as his children. So why are you going to allow something that you did wrong to define you when even God himself isn't remembering that or holding that against you? We need to forgive ourselves. We need to forget the past. We need to identify our sins. And work through those things. And then we need to keep moving forward.
That's the number two reason why I think uh, life is difficult, because of the sins in our life. Number three thing, I think life is difficult because of the world we live in. It's coming a time and age where Christianity is so sidewashed, and even those who claim to be Christian live so far from it. It's just tough. And for kids, I, am, I, I know what it is it's like when you're walking through your halls and, and the language you hear and the way they talk. It's hard to fit in. How do you plug into a, to a world like this when, when it's so far from what we're supposed to be? Workplace, the way they, uh, your coworkers talk. Uh, when I was at Vestas, I, I was on the floor with 30 to 50 people often, and the way they talk, the way the things they do. Um, even you'll be harassed at 30 for being a Christian by other 30 and 40 year olds. It's like, that's ridiculous. It's like, this is still high school? But it is. It's the world we live in. And we just got to keep sticking with it. Keep plugging along. Hang in there. If you're being persecuted, it happens in this country. You're not going to get stoned. You're probably not going to get murdered. But you will be harassed about it. You're going to get made fun of because you don't talk the way they talk. You don't do the things they do. You're not going out drinking. You're not going to clubs. You're just going and being with your family. That's not cool by the world's standards. Life's difficult because of the world we live in. I have a song. Uh, we're going to play a song now, Worn, by 10th Avenue North. There's, uh, 10th Avenue North. They must have a very sad soul because a lot of their songs are really good, but they're sad songs. But this one, oftentimes I've felt this way too. So we'll play that one now.
you go home and you have your technology that works, the Wi-Fi is not going very good, you can listen to that song. But sometimes in our life, we just feel worn out. And uh, it happens to all of us. we got to just stick in there. Because life is difficult. You're going to feel tired. You're going to feel worn. Keep pushing forward. Number two reason as to why we must encourage one another. There will be a judgment day. Matthew 24, 36 tells us the day and the hour are unknown. We don't know when that time is coming, but it is coming. And it's real. Oftentimes, we think of it as heaven and hell, and, and judgment day is kind of like a fantasy. It's like, how is that really possible? Because you can't really grasp what that's like. It says we're going to be judged by Every living person who's ever lived, I mean, that's, that's billions and billions of people are going to be judged by every careless word spoken. We're going to get into that. Every deed done. And it's like, that's going to be like the longest day ever. I mean, that's going to take like 10,000 years. And maybe it does. I don't know. But what's 10,000 years in eternity? It's, it's nothing. And so I don't know what that's going to look like. But I know that it's going to be as real as this building, this place, the mountains. When you go there, you can see them, you can touch them, you can be in it, you can smell it. And when that time comes, it's going to be as real as all of this. And oftentimes in our minds, it just feels like it's a fantasy, and it's not reality, but it is a reality. And we're going to get into that a little bit. So we don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but we do know a little bit of what the world will look like when that time is coming. We're going to look at 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4. This is going to kind of give us an idea of, of uh, what, the, what kind of godlessness, what kind of uh, place the world will be at the end of time. First Tim- or, let's see, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I think it's interesting because I think if you go down this list, it gives a pretty accurate description of what most of the people are in the world today. They're very selfish people. They're very conceited people. They're often unforgiving. It's very rare that you see worldly people apologizing to people and forgiving people because they want to always claim they're right. We need to not be like that. But you see these things and it describes godlessness in the last days. And it seems as though many of those, that's a pretty accurate description of this time and age. Number two thing, there's going to be earthly signs. We're going to look at uh, Matthew 24, 4 through 18, or I'm sorry, 4 through 8. Matthew 24. Jesus is talking here. He's kind of explaining what what to look for, what it's going to be like at the end of time. Starting in verse 4. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming, I am the Christ. And will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. 
but you will see you will oh, but see to it that you are not alarmed such things must happen but the end is still to come nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom there will be famines and earthquakes in various places all these are the beginning of birth pains and if you just take from let's say 19 let's go 100 years the last 100 years 1916 till 2016 you go into world war 1 early 20s or like it about 100 years from now it's like uh, I've been with teens yeah like 2000 uh, 1911 stuff like at that time era then you go to you have world war 2 20 years later then you have Vietnam, you have Korea, you have, well, Korea was in the 50s, Vietnam, 60s. Then you have almost a nuclear war in the 80s with the Russians. And then you have Desert Storm in the 90s. And then you have Operation Iraqi Freedom and, and several different campaigns. Within 100 years that just our country is involved in alone. There's also civil wars throughout Africa, and, and there always has been um, in other countries. And you see the, the German Empire raising up in the World War II era and then falling. And you see these uh, nations rising and falling and rising and falling and, and all this chaos in the world. And it's, it's not something to be alarmed by. This is all what was supposed to come. It's just signs for the end of times. And here we are. You'll also see in verse 7, uh, let's see. Nations will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes. How many... Often, we're having these floods. We, a few years ago, have a 100-year flood. Then 10 years later, we have a 500-year flood. And then 20 years ago, we had a 100-year flood. And it's like, all right, so we've had 200-year floods and a 500-year flood in, 30, in about 40 years. Okay, and it changes the entire canyon. It's amazing. You know, it's like one week, and it's like it completely changes the shapes of, of what things look like. And uh, it's crazy. And earthquakes, you're hearing of tsunamis and, and all these earthquakes and all this destruction. And, and it's almost just so second nature. You just hear it and it's, and it's just another day. Um, and, and all the and shootings and, and all this violence and all these problems in the world. And, and, and it doesn't even raise an alarm to people. It's just like people are just like, what's going on? But then it, they don't do anything about it. They don't really look into it more. And... and it was laid out. Christ told us these are the things that are going to happen. And it's something that we should be encouraged by because we know that these things are coming true. It's happening. We're moving forward. So, that's, so what's going to happen? So then after all this goes on, eventually enough's going to be enough and there's going to be the second coming. So stay in Matthew chapter 24. We're going to jump down to 20, uh, verse 21. For then there will be a great distress, unequal from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. It's going to be worse than the time of Noah. It's going to be more people still around. There's not going to be the like seven people that survived in Noah's time. But as far as the world and the culture, it's going to be a worse place than it was in the time of Noah even. For if those days had not been cut short, if God didn't come back and, and put an end to it all, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. That's a verse I have highlighted. Because I find that encouraging. That If that God let the course run out, eventually there would not be a church left. 
anywhere in the world. Eventually, Satan would win over this entire world. And I don't know how long that would take, but for the sake of the elect, so that Satan doesn't get a win and destroy God's church, he's going to come down and put an end to all of it, and he's going to take us out of it. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles and deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, here he is, out here in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and is is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And it's funny because... You hear about it. You've seen it where somebody claims to be the Messiah. And they actually get thousands of people to follow them and do crazy things. And it's just, it's crazy. But as lightning comes, as, as, as you can see it from a far, far way away, that's how it's going to be. It's going to be a crack and it's going to be right now. And it's not going to be a question of, is this the end? You're going to know. Wherever there's, uh, let's see. Wherever there is a carcass, there will be vultures will gather. Immediately after the stress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At the time the Son of Man will appear, the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds of the end of the earth. Heavens to the... Oh, man, I'm sorry. And he will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. All of us are going to be gathered. So, okay, so he comes back and gets the second trumpet. What happens next? We're going to go to 1 Thessalonians 4.16. Paul talks about that a little bit. First Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. And the voice, oh my goodness. With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Now this is kind of weird. But this is what's literally going to happen. Those that are, have died before us, have come and gone and are Christian. They're going to come up. And you always think that they're already in heaven, they're already in hell. They're not. But we're not going to get into that. They're, they're in a good place or they're in a bad place, but it's not the, the second. It's not over yet. So the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are left alive are left, and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So first, the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, those who are left, uh, are saved as the elect, are also going to rise. So then what happens? So we've got all the elect people from all time floating in the sky. Then we're going to take a look at uh, 2 Peter 3.10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire. 
and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. That's a bummer for those who aren't right, because they get to get torched then. And then you know your uh, destiny's not going to look very good, so they're going to end up getting thrown in the lake of fire, which we're going to get into next. And after that happens, so the elect go up from all time. Earth is destroyed. There's nothing left. The sun's gone. The moon's gone. Everything's gone. And then we have Judgment Day. We're going to take a look at 2 Corinthians. We have uh, several verses we're going to look into to, to, to get a picture of what Judgment Day is going to look like. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one of you may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Every single one of us is going to make an appearance before him for everything we've done, whether it's good or bad. Every person's going to have to do that. Let's take a look real quick over at Hebrews. I wanted to put all these, it's one verse shots, but I still wanted you guys to read them because it's in your Bible. This isn't just me saying that. And I, when they post these things up on the screen, that's cool and all, but how do you know that that's really what it says? So now you know, because you're reading it in your own Bible. Hebrews 4.13 Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him whom we must give an account. There are going to be no hidden sins anymore. Right now, you don't... I don't know what all your sins are, what your struggles are. I know what mine are, but everything's going to be laid bare that day. So we can't allow to just bury those things and pretend like it's going to not exist or not happen because everything's going to be brought to the table. And it's a sad thing when you think you snuck or got away with it and you really didn't. Matthew 12, 36. What kind of things are we going to get judged for? Let's take a look over there real quick. Uh, Matthew 12, 36. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. It's like, man, that seems kind of extreme, right? I mean, it doesn't even say you have to be a terrible person. It just says every careless word. I know that's, that's something uh, I'm guilty of. I, I sometimes just shoot my mouth off without thinking twice. We need to not be doing that. We've got to think before we speak. Let's take a look over at Romans real quick. Romans 2, 6 through 11. Romans 2, 6. God will give each person according to what he has done. To those by persistence in doing good, seek glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking and those who reject the tooth and follow the evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first to the Jew and then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. We're going to be judged by the things we do, the way we live. Let's take a look real quick over at Revelations. This isn't a book I usually like to wander into because it's, uh, some of it's kind of odd hard to understand but some of it is really good and easy to understand so we're going to take a look at Revelations 20 11 through 15 
Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, because there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. We're going to be judged by what's written down on how we lived. Everybody will. And uh, it's, it's a sad thing when you think of people that you care about that, that you're not really sure that they're going to be okay or not. But we just need to be aware of that the situation is real. And as real as this world is today, so is judgment. And to, to not just do the minimum. Let's try to do better. There's a song that I want to play. It's not a Christian song. Hopefully it works. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, it's called Whiskey on My Breath. It's, it's a, kind of a country song. It's a country song. But uh, it hits me in many in a way. In, it hit me pretty hard, and there's multiple ways um, that it can be applied and, 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 and touch you as well. It talks mostly about having an alcohol addiction, but uh, it talks about how he doesn't want to meet Jesus with whiskey on his breath. And for us, maybe you're not an alcoholic. I've never personally had a drink myself, but I don't want to meet Jesus with sin in my life. And whether yours is an addiction of some sort or whatever it is, we want to make sure that we're not meeting Jesus for Judgment Day with sin in our life. So let's try it. Hopefully this works. We'll try it. Maybe you've been buffering it for me. <laughs> no, it's not going to work.
And maybe not all of us have an alcohol problem, but all of us have sin in our life. And we want to make sure that when we meet Jesus, we don't have that sin in our life that's going to keep us from where we're trying to go. This song hit me particularly hard when I was heard it for the first few times on the radio. Because uh, yesterday was June 4th, uh, September 4th, 1996, my dad died because of uh, his alcohol addiction. And I know, I knew him very well. I was young, I was 12. My sister was 11. And there's so much struggle and pain that comes with their sins. And sometimes, if you're born in, and raised in church, maybe you don't have to face those as much. But if you're someone who's come to church later, and you already have those addictions of whatever it could be, those things don't just go away because you became a Christian. And I watched that struggle go on for many years. And several here saw that happen too. And I know I prayed often. And because uh, God doesn't judge his man judges. He doesn't just see what man sees. He'll judge us by what's in the heart. But then he also says, if anyone destroys the temple of God, I will destroy him. Is he in heaven? Is he going to go to heaven? I don't know. I don't know. I hope. Because I know his heart. He would do anything for anybody. I saw it often. He set that example for me. And I remember one time I was like, maybe not. And it's funny because when you have a loss like that, that time, those memories get like locked. I can remember it as it was yesterday. And I was maybe nine or ten. And I was sitting in uh, the garage in my, my, we had a 83 Mustang. It's not exactly a cool car. It was a four-cylinder. But when you're nine or ten, you want to be just like your dad, especially for a boy. Your dad's Superman. He busts his knuckles and bleeds and doesn't even flinch. You grow old and eventually your hands become tough enough to do it too. It's not as impressive anymore. But when you're a little kid, you look up to your dad and you just, you want to be just like him. So I was just sitting in the car, pretending to drive. It was a stick, so I had the e-brake up and I'm shifting gears and whatever, you know. And dad comes out and he, he smoked three, oh man, he smoked like three and a half packs a day for a long time. And uh, so I had a cigarette in my mouth. It wasn't lit, obviously. But I was being dad, driving the car with a cigarette in my mouth and just cruising around, you know, in the garage. And he comes out, and then I thought, uh, you kind of get that deer in the headlight look like, oh, man, am I supposed to be in the car? <laughs> you know, how much trouble I'm in. And he very calmly, quietly just came in the passenger seat and sat down. And... He took the cigarette from me, put it back in his pack, and said, Danny, promise me this one thing. 
that you will never pick up your first cigarette and you will never take your first drink. Because he knew and he was trying to beat it. And I refuse to believe that you can't beat addiction. We can't. You can't. If you have a problem, you can beat it. But the longer you're in it, and he did quit smoking. It took him a while. He got over the smoking. Nicotine patches worked for him. Different things worked for different people. And he went through phases where he would go three, four, five, six months without drinking. But ultimately, he didn't even win that battle. And uh, I don't know where he's at. I hope that it, that he's okay. But when I take that lesson and I think about it, I just don't want to gamble our salvation on hopefully Christ's blood will cover this. Hopefully this is going to be okay. Let's not gamble our salvation on the hope that it's going to be okay. Heaven and hell are real. And that's what we're going to get into a little bit next. So after the judgment, we're all answering for our what we did, good and bad. Every word we've spoken, we're going to answer for it. I don't know how long that takes. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I know it's going to happen. And then we're going to spend eternity in one of two places. We're going to talk about hell first so we can end on a happy note. So what will hell be like? Well, we kind of just read a little bit about it. Revelations 11 to 15. It's going to be like a lake of fire. It's going to be a bad place. Matthew 13, 14. Oh, I'm sorry. Matthew 13, 49 through 50. This is how it will be at the end of age. The angels come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's going to be a separation. Those who don't make it are going to be thrown into a fiery furnace, weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's going to be a painful place. There's going to be suffering. How bad would it be if you're there and you knew? You, the whole time you're there, you knew. I could have been there. I could have made it. I knew better. Look at Mark real quick, 9, 48. So, let's see, they'll be thrown into hell where the worms does not die and their fire is not quenched. It literally, in some translation, says that there will be maggots that will consume and you're in an eternal body, so you're going to heal as fast as it's happening to you. However, you're still going to feel that pain. So who will go there? So we know it's a terrible place. It's going to be pretty miserable. Sweeping, gnashing teeth. Worms eating you, possibly. That's what it sounds like. So who will go there? Let's look at Revelations 21.8. Who goes there? Revelations 21.8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars 
their place will be the, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So probably aren't going to be many politicians up there since all the liars are going. But it's like, all right, well, that's basically pretty bad people, so that's good. Let's look at James 2.19 real quick. Bring it a little closer to home for some of us. You believe that there's God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Sad thing because many people, there's entire religions that believe that as long as you believe in God, it's okay. As long as you just believe. Well, that's part of it. That's a big part of it. You're not going to go somewhere if you don't believe. You're not going to get into it and get plugged in if you don't believe. But even the demons believe and shudder. And so if the demons believe and they're not going to heaven, I don't think there's going to be any demons up there, then there's more to it than that. And it's a sad thing when you think that people who are good people who believe in God, not making it to heaven because they didn't live the way they needed to. They did a part of it, but they didn't do all of it. Let's look at Hebrews 10, 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only in the fearful expectation of judgment and the raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. If we just accept that Christ died for my sins, it's okay now. And you keep on sinning and you just keep doing those things and you don't acknowledge that that's wrong and try to make the changes to get those things corrected. Yeah, Christ died for your sins. But it says that there's a limit. We have got to turn away from that and move forward. We do not want to meet Jesus with sin in our life. If we keep on sinning, there's no sacrifice left for us. One last verse. Matthew 7, 13. We're going to look at the 7, uh, 13 through 23. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the, bro- wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many will enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are furious, ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but bad trees... But bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only in he who will only in he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That's a sad thing to me because there are many people that even preach and teach and are claiming to be Christian. 
are going to stand there and say, Lord, Lord, they're going to think that they made it. And they're not going to make it. And they're going to be completely dumbfounded as to why they're wrong. And it's because it's one thing to know and it's one thing to teach. It's another thing to live it. It's another thing to do it. And we just need to be a church that is doing it. I just want to encourage all of us to be a church that's doing it. Don't be an individual that's just doing the minimum. It's not a contract of, all right, I'm going to come to church on Sundays and I'll come on Wednesdays and, and then you let me in heaven and if God counter offers. Well, no, I need you to do this. Okay, I'll do, and, and you work out it. It's not like that. He laid out the foundation and either we live it or we don't. So let's talk about something a little more positive. So heaven. Those who get to make it to heaven. What's heaven going to be like? It's funny when you watch cartoons or something where they try to paint the picture of what heaven will be like. And it's always like your heaven. They like zone it towards heaven. So like, for example, Ice Age. The little squirrel like dies and he's chasing his acorn and he dies. And he's going up to heaven and it's cloud and there's a huge gate. And then there's like the smoke and the ah. angels are like singing. And then there's a huge giant acorn for him. And... We try to think, like, what's heaven going to be like? I don't know if you've ever thought, like, what's heaven going to really look like? Well, they tell us a little bit of what it's going to look like. So we're going to take a look. John 14, real quick. 2 through 4. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. I will... And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you will also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. So we know it's going to be something that Jesus literally is going to make for us. And now let's take a look back at Revelations 21.8. 18, I'm sorry. We already did the 21.8. So now we're going to go down a little further. And I'm not even going to be able to pronounce some of these, so I'm just going to try. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, pure as glass. The foundations of the city's walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third, I don't know, the fourth emerald, the fifth sadrax or something like that, the sixth, I don't know, seventh, I don't know either, the eighth, I don't know either, the ninth, I don't know either. It's all these precious stones. The twelve gates were, were twelve pearls, each gate made of, single, of a single pearl. The great street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. So, for me, that really doesn't matter. I'm like, whether I'm walking on concrete or on gold, you know, it's good to me whether, either way. Same thing with gates and a pearl. To me, that stuff doesn't matter. So, but it's kind of cool when you think that Maybe Jesus is handcrafting that pearl gate. Maybe he's laying in that stone. Maybe he's laying that gold brick. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I know it's going to be an amazing place. So what is it for me that I look forward to heaven? When you think of heaven, what do you look forward to about it? What do you think is going to be the best part about being in heaven? Revelation 21.4. This is one that I find pretty cool. He will wipe away the tears from their eyes. There will be, more no, there will be no more death 
or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. There's going to be no more struggle. There's going to be no more hardship. There's going to be no more, how do I pay these bills? There's going to be no more, how do I get over this struggle? There's no more of it. There's no more sadness. There's no more persecution. There's no more sorrow. It's only happiness. I find that pretty cool. One I even like more than that, Revelation 14, uh, 14, 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Finally, you don't have to work like an animal anymore. You can just rest. And it's, it's whether you're doing manual physical labor or maybe you're exhausted from doing the church work, doing spiritual things. It doesn't matter what the work is. As long as you're serving God and you're doing work, your deeds are going to follow you wherever you go. And when you get to heaven, finally, it's just rest. No more stress, no more work, no more backaches. Just rest and comfort. To me, when I think about heaven, that's what I look forward to is just resting and just being able to go do this kind of thing. I mean, not preaching, but just to be, yeah, this is weird anyways, but, but not to be preaching, but just to be hanging out with Christians. You can just walk down the street. You don't have to put your guards up anymore. You don't have to worry about all the garbage around you. Just rest. And then uh, I wonder what it's going to be like. You know, you go run into Paul. You shake his hand. You go try to give... You know, Moses, a high five, and he doesn't know what a high five is because they didn't have that back then. And maybe it's going to be a little awkward for the first few decades of heaven time frame getting somebody comes up and kisses you, and you're like, what? Man, that's just weird because that was common back then. You know what I mean? Who knows? But uh, it's going to be cool. It's going to be an awesome thing. So that covers the why. Man, I should have made like three sermons out of this. Sorry, guys, we're running long, but. I blame Susan. She told me, run long because I have to teach. So we're doing that. <laughs> and then some. So the how. So the why we must encourage one another. Because life is difficult. Because there is a judgment day. Because there is a heaven and hell. That's why we must encourage each other. Help each other get there. But how do we do that? How are we supposed to encourage each other to get there? What can we do? First, build strong relationships. If you build strong relationships with the people in the church and your core friends are Christian, they're going to be able to help you. You're going to be able to help each other get to heaven. Let's take a look over at 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another build each other up just as fact you are doing how can, you can't do that if you're not friends with people if you don't get to know people if you don't talk to people how are you going to encourage them and build each other up so step one build strong friendships number two have sympathy and compassion because I think sometimes your heart's in the right place and you want to help them but 
because you don't have the same problem that they have, or maybe because you don't have the same struggles they have, there's a tendency, it seems like, that Christians look down on other people for what their struggle is. Whether it's, maybe they have an alcohol problem. Maybe they have a drug addiction. Maybe they're smoking. You're like, get over it. It's not that big a deal. Get over it. Because we don't understand what that's like to have that. So we need to have sympathy and compassion. We didn't die on the cross for that. There are sins. We're just here to help them try to get to heaven. Whatever we can do, that's what we need to be seeking to do. What can we do to help people? And I think we need to have some sympathy and compassion for, for our fellow Christians. Let's take a look real quick over at Romans. Romans 14, 9 through 13. Starting in verse 9. For this very reason... Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, and every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account to himself before God. So I think we just need to, yes, we need to hold each other accountable. Because how bad, sad would that be to watch your fellow brother or sister in Christ not make it because you didn't tell them what you saw wrong in their life. We need to do that. We need to do it in a very humble, a gentle way. Paul on a different verse says, those who are spiritual gently restore those who are in sin. Your brother's caught in sin, gently restore him. And it's because too often times, and this has been from the beginning of time, <laughs> that this happens, where people just look down and judge people and, and start condemning everyone. And we have to worry first about ourselves and our own sins and our own life and ourselves getting there, because we're all going to give an account to ourselves. We're not responsible for the ones next to us to get there. However, we need to encourage, we need to help have sympathy and compassion, and help each other get there. And we do that through getting close to each other and, 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 and feeling their pain and their sorrow when they're trying and they're struggling by not putting them down, but just encouraging hey, stick with it. You're still alive. There's still time. Keep going. Don't quit. Number three, accountability through love. Take a look real quick over at Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27, 17. Yep, 17. Simple verse. Very simple verse. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens another. If we care about people and, it, and then you do it gently and you have sympathy and you compassion, you build a strong relationship with that person, it's not fun still. It's not fun on either end. It's not fun telling somebody that what they're doing is wrong. And it's not fun when somebody comes and tells you that what you're doing is not right. And I've been on both end of those spectrums before. And, um, but it's something we have to do. We need to do it. Have accountability through love. You can't do that if you don't build a relationship with the person. And that's another thing I think some people fail to do. If you have a close friend, if, for example, Greg Nichols. We're pretty close friends. Uh, we go hunting together often. We talk about our frustrations. He talks about his school frustration. And, and he'll talk about... Um, 
you know, frustration with people we're working on. It's like, how can you guys not understand? What more can I do? And he talks about it. We built that relationship. If Greg came up to me and told me, man, you need to pull it together. This is not right. I'd be able to take that from him because of the, the time that we spent together and the things we do. Alan even. If Alan and I have done it both ways. That now some of you know, most of you know him. But uh, yeah, believe it or not. Um, you know, because you have that, you know, that foundation, that friendship, that relationship. So even if they say something negative about you, it doesn't destroy your relationship. And that's where too often times I think we don't have the strong enough relationship so that we hold each other accountable. And instead of it building each other up, it destroys it. And it's because we don't have that firm foundation or because we didn't have any sympathy or compassion when you're just rigid and, and, and raw with it. And I don't think that's what God instilled for us because uh, I think ultimately that's his job. The fourth part is having humility. Both on the giving, if you're holding accountability, be humble when you go and talk to somebody about something they're doing wrong. And if somebody comes to you about something you're wrong, even if they approach you wrong, be humble about it. Maybe you get frustrated, take a few minutes, pull yourself aside, but analyze it. Are they right? Maybe their approach is wrong, but maybe their information is right. And if their information is right and their approach is wrong, well, then we still need to make those changes. And then go thank them for, for doing that, because they might have just saved your soul. Who knows? So that's all I have. We're going to break into some clothing thoughts. I just want to encourage you, this, isn't supposed to be, this wasn't supposed to be a depressing sermon. I want this to be a positive one. Let's take a look real quick over at Revelations 22.12. Revelations 22.12. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Stick with it, you guys. He is coming. And his reward is with him. Let's take a look real quick at Galatians 7.9. Galatians 6, 7 through 9. Sorry. Galatians 6, starting in, uh, yeah, we'll just start in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from that Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I think it's interesting that he that Paul puts that in there because I think sometimes Christians are doing it. They're doing it. They're going. They're going. And then this world, the life, the struggles, and, and, and this garbage bogs us down so bad that we give up and people give up. And Paul's saying, don't give up. Just stick with it. Keep doing the good at the proper time. The harvest is coming. The reward is coming. It's real, you guys. It's not some fantasy. So I just want to, as I part this morning, I just want to encourage you guys, stick with it. If it's sin or, or, or addictions or whatever your struggles are, just don't give up. Keep pushing forward. Keep sticking with it. I also want to encourage us, let's not do the minimum. Let's not gamble our salvation on Christ died for me, it's okay. It's not. You've got to keep growing. you 
got to keep making changes. We've got to keep analyzing. Make sure we're doing what's right. This morning as we leave, I just want to encourage us to, to just stick with it. So next week, so I guess we get, I don't know, announcements. So yeah, the cool thing is today, this worked out good, because you can go get encourage everyone, because everybody's going to everybody's houses to eat and drink and be merry and whatever y'all do. So that should be a good time. So I think everybody should more or less know where they're going and what they're doing. So definitely do that. Spend some time together and, and just enjoy your fellowship with one another. Encourage each other. Next week, the professionals will be back. I think they're driving right now, probably. Uh, so they're heading home. Uh, be, they're on the planes. Oh, man, so they're going to be late then, later even. But they're heading this way again. They got sounds like they had a good time, had a blast. Uh, put some bear meat in the fridge and a bunch of hides that they don't know what to do with. So, but that's cool. I think it's awesome when you see, uh, even the, uh, the Bieberness boys, when you see uh, a dad that gets to go hang out with his kids who are 40 years old doing what they did as kids. I just think that's, it's pretty neat. It's pretty special. So I'm sure they had a blast. I'm sure they'll tell us all about it, but um, be praying for them that they make it back safe. I think they get back late tomorrow night. So they should if all goes well. Um, so that's it. Is there anything I'm missing? Wednesday, normal. Everything's pretty much normal this week. All right, cool. Then I'm just going to pray. We can all just stand up. I'll pray. And then uh, I do have questions. I even went all out, you know. I was like, yeah. They didn't have faith that I was going to do questions. I actually did questions too. So those will be up front. Take a few minutes. Just uh, it's not. Don't rush. Just hang out a little bit together and then when you're ready grab some questions and and we'll sit down and talk a little bit we did run like way long like church should be done in like 15 minutes like all of church so i apologize for that so i don't know maybe we just make it really quick i don't know what you want to do but hopefully i didn't bore you too bad so all right i'll pray real quick and then we'll be dismissed god just thank you for all that you do for us and, and sending your son to die on the cross for us that we can have that chance of salvation through you, God, and, and just thank you for this church and, and all that it does and, and um, to meet the needs of other people and just please help us to continue to grow as a church and to, to better serve you, God, and, and to just analyze our lives and, and to find the areas that we need to do better and to, to make the changes that we need to, God. And, and just thank you for everyone making the effort to be here and to be a part of this today. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.